This is Car Expert. There have been reports that Audi is working on some form of like an electric utility thing. So maybe this is the preview of what to expect. Kia Australia has finally confirmed a Sportage hybrid is coming down under. One of the things that GWM is going to need to reinforce to customers and really make clear is, yes, this thing is reliable. Yes, we will support you. And yes, it will take you where you need to go. Hello, James Wong. Hey, Mandy. And welcome back, Scott Colley, from your very long holiday. Hello. Hello, Mandy. It's nice, I think, to be back. I'm still working <laughs> that out. You were away a long time. It's always hard to come back. I feel like any longer than two weeks is just extra hard to come back to work. You were like away for, what, four weeks or something? Yeah, I left on Christmas morning and I, I actually got back Monday last week. Um, so by the time we publish this, it'll be a week and a half, something like that. But yeah, wow. uh, yeah I was away for almost a month all up and I could kind of in the last week before coming home, feel the work stuff starting to come back. I could see emails and be like, oh, that's a me problem, isn't it? Um, so I had a fantastic time away. I uh, got to drive awesome. some rental cars in the States and do what more was... than that, obviously. It wasn't just a rental car holiday. Um, but, yeah, it's also nice to be back at work and looking at James's beautiful face again across the <laughs> desk and all of that. I've got to ask, I know this is a non-car question, but what was it like to have a white Christmas? Uh, it was actually weirdly warm in New York. We arrived and the first day was quite cold. It was about negative 10, but there was no snow. Um, and from there, it was like sort of Melbourne winter morning weather. There was no snow the entire time we were in New York and Nashville Aww. wasn't snowy as well. So we did see some plenty of snow, actually. We went skiing for a couple of weeks in Wyoming, but by that point, it was well and truly after Christmas. So I have had a white Christmas before and it is, um, I think, definitely worse than sitting by the pool. Um, <laughs> I always, I always miss Australian Christmas and being able to get a tan and drink in the yes. sun and watch the Boxing Day test the next day. They, I think we do that really well. We do, um, we do. But it so, is, it is novel, and all the Christmas carols kind of make more sense. Beautiful. So the next big question: What rental car did you get? Uh, so I drove three rental cars while I was over there. Um, you know, you guys know I'd love a guessing game. So maybe, maybe we can play a game here. Uh, the first one was a Kia that's not sold in Australia. What do you think it is? Tell you right. Smaller. I'm trying to think of what else they have. Boxy, practical. Oh, the soul. So, yeah, out of Nashville, we had a Soul rental car. Um, on the Car Expert scale, it was a solid 7.5 out of 10. Practical, comfy, economical, boring as all hell. Um, I managed to get myself in trouble because the lady at the counter said, oh, for only $40 a day, you can have a V6 Mustang extra. And I said, no, thanks. That's okay because we're lucky we get to drive heaps of nice cars and driven a V8 Mustang. Why would I pay for a V6? And my girlfriend goes, Mustang in America. I want to drive a Mustang in America. And it was too late by that point. So oh, um, no. for those of you playing at home, get the Mustang, makes your girlfriend happy. Um, in Jackson Hole in Wyoming, this one we do sell in Australia, but under a different name, Mitsubishi SUV rental car. What do you think it was? Insert sounds mm-hmm. of crickets. Yeah. I know. Is it like an, was it an Outlander or an Eclipse Cross? What else do they sell? ASX. Yeah, so it was. It's called the Outlander Sport over there, but we had an ASX. Um, turns out the American ASX is the same as the Australian ASX, and is even less exciting than the Soul. Um, but per day, cheapest rental car I drove. So there is that. Uh, final one was the most interesting. Uh, it's something we get in Australia, but not in this spec. It was much bigger, and it was a Honda SUV CRV hybrid. No, oh no, you drove the Accord. Yeah, so I had a, a base model Accord Hybrid. I paid 90 US dollars a day for that one, only just for the one day, but that was the most expensive by far. But I was really, really impressed with it. Um, I've only driven the petrol Accord in Australia, and it's like a 60 grand car here. Over there, you can get one much cheaper. The base model Hybrid had so much space. I averaged around five litres per 100 Ks, and that was with a whole lot of driving it. What's the limit over there? 65? Call it 80 mile an hour, something like that on the freeway because they've got far more relaxed speed enforcement. Um, and then we got stuck in some LA traffic and it was just electric the whole time. I was really impressed with it. I really enjoyed it. Um, wasn't the most exciting car in the world to drive, but in terms of like the amount of space you get, how comfortable it was and how little fuel it used, it gave me a new appreciation for that car and it kind of made me wish even more that 
maybe there was one priced in line with the Camry because if Honda Australia could get them, there's absolutely an opportunity there to sell them. Yeah. Um, what, did you see any cars on the roads there that um, surprised you or you, you wish, you know, was here in Australia? Yeah, I, I always look at both ends of the spectrum, the muscle car stuff and the electric stuff. Um, Rivian R1T I saw a couple of. They look fantastic in person. They've got a heap of presence about them. They look really clean. I also saw a couple of Lucid Airs around LA. Um, I actually, we were we went to check out Beverly Hills and we parked our rental Accord Hybrid uh, next to a 911 GT3 and a Lucid Air, which is kind of, if you remove the Accord, a pretty good garage, I reckon. <laughs> um, so seeing some of that stuff that hasn't yet made it to Australia was cool. I also am just an absolute sucker for a muscle car. So yeah. a couple of Dodge Charger and Challenger Hellcats and even the Ford F-150 Raptor, which we don't get here, um, really cool. Seeing the Ram TRX in its natural habitat, also really cool because we drove one of those in Oz and it was awesome but sensory overload on Australian roads. Made a lot more sense on wide Wyoming roads covered with snow, you know, stuff in the back of it. It looked fantastic. So, yeah, I'll go both ends of the spectrum on that. I'll hedge my bets. <laughs> I look forward to you going on your next holiday and we talk about all your rental car journeys, Scully. I think you've almost ticked every rental car box by now. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely getting there. The problem is I've used all my leave now, so it's going to be a while. Um <laughs> If anyone Don't does worry. want to fund the Scott Collie rental car journey of discovery, l- let me know on email. But otherwise, I think it's gonna it's gonna have to wait. <laughs> you need to go on a holiday next, Jaywo. Yeah, I I dabbled with the idea of renting like a small Peugeot when I went to Spain last year to drive away from the airport, but it was like three hundred euros a day, and I was like, absolutely oh, not. You always <laughs> buy one for that. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It was so expensive, and that was like for a two oh eight or something. And I was like, imagine what? if I wanted something that was the size of my Golf, I'd be like, I'd, it would be an air an air flight home. <laughs> G'day, Jack Quick. Hey there, Mandy. How are you? Very good, thank you. We've got you on to talk about this week's car news, and we'll start off with the uh, 2024 BMW M3 CS. It's been revealed, and it's green. Yeah. Which I'll be very yeah, happy. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to mention. James <laughs> would love it. So, yeah, um, as you mentioned, Mandy, uh, M3 CS, the the lighter, stiffer, and more powerful um, M3 CS, uh, made its debut at the 24 Hours of Daytona uh, just last weekend. Um, it shares a lot of uh, the common features it has with uh, the M4 CS, uh, CSL, should say, that was revealed a few months ago last year. Um, it's coming to Australia. It's uh, in limited numbers, uh, BMW says. It's due locally uh, in the second half of this year and it's going to cost uh, $249,900 for on-road costs. So a fair bit. <laughs> uh, this uh, M3CS is uh, powered by a familiar uh, three-litre twin-turbo inline-six engine uh, producing 405 kilowatts of power and 650 newtons. Uh, Newton meters of torque. Uh, just for context, this is uh, 30 kilowatts more than the M3 competition, uh, whereas torque is unchanged. Uh, zero to 100 uh, k's an hour is uh, claimed to take uh, 3.4 seconds and flat out you'll be unfortunately electronically limited to 305 uh, kilometers an hour. Uh, so this engine is mated to an eight-speed automatic transmission with M X-Drive variable and rear-biased all-wheel drive. Uh, weight-saving elements include a carbon fiber roof, bonnet, uh, front splitter, front air intakes, exterior uh, mirror caps, rear diffuser, and rear spoiler. So from that list, just uh, know that there are a lot of carbon fiber bits. <laughs> and uh, also the, on the inside, there are standard M carbon bucket seats, um, as well as a titanium rear silencer for the exhaust. Overall, with all of those carbon fiber and titanium bits, whatnot, uh, you save 20 kilos. So uh, to me, that doesn't really sound as much as I thought. But anyway. It's a third of a human being. <laughs> well, true. Yes, you're true. And um, I just want to know, guys, is this the ultimate M3 you were expecting? Uh, I'm not surprised by anything BMW's put on here. I don't think it's the ultimate M3 because I think it's really, really expensive. Um, 
it's worth noting that the standard M3 competition is not a slow car. It's not as if people are driving that going, it just needs to be a bit lighter and a bit more powerful. And that thing starts at about 150 grand and works up from there. I think the other interesting thing with the M3 CS is where the CSL is rear-wheel drive, BMW's kept the CS all-wheel drive. Um, it sort of feels like they've gone two-thirds of the way to making it a really pared-back, stripped-out, aggressive car, but then just stopped before the final hurdle. So I may be completely wrong when I drive the thing, but on paper at least, I think it looks fantastic, but I don't know that it's quite as aggressive and as full-on as maybe it needs to be for that price tag. Do you agree, Jay yeah, I think that's the thing we're starting to see at the moment is that like, you know, I was just reading the, the price gap between the the competition and the CS and the fact that, you know, 75 grand, I don't know if that's 75 grand worth of stuff. So some people it, it might be, but um, it is, I think Scott's right. It's a lot of money. And um, I guess the in terms of its talents, I don't know how much extra stuff dynamically and on track and whatever, what that will translate to for your cash. I Like when you look at something like a Porsche 911, there's a really big difference in track ability um, between something like even just a base GT3 and, you know, a Carrera S, even though the Carrera S is a really good car. Um, but given the competition is already sort of quite trackable and the competition spec has a lot of track specific bits, I just don't know <laughs> whether I'd be spending the telling people to spend that money. I like the green though. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to say that. <laughs> um, now, the next story, this was actually pretty big that broke this week. Jack, uh, the Toyota CEO has uh, stepped down. Yeah, Mandy, that's right. So Akio Toyota um, is stepping down as the CEO of Toyota. He will be replaced as president and CEO by Koji Sato, who is currently the head of Lexus and Gazoo Racing, which you might know more familiar as GR, Toyota GR. Toyota-san will will still play a role at Toyota uh, by becoming the chairman. Uh, The current chairman, uh, Takeshi Uchimada, will relinquish his um, chairmanship uh, but remain on the board. Uh, Toyota said its uh, new CEO was chosen partly because he loves cars and also because of his youth, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Yeah. Uh, just for just for reference, um, uh, Sato-san is 53 years old, whereas uh, Toyota-san was um, 66 years old. Uh, Toyota has been uh, widely viewed as the the pioneer of hybrid uh, drivetrains forever, but it's uh, kind of struggling to adapt to EVs. Uh, You might have heard that the company is reportedly considering rebooting its EV plans off the back of the large amount of EV concepts it revealed last year. Um, But for now, the Japanese car maker only produces the the BZ4X, um, which has had its fair share of issues thus far. Um, But I want to know, guys, what do you think will be happening at Toyota now with the new CEO? I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see first up whether we do see a more overt focus on electric vehicles, because for a long time, Toyota has been viewed as a little bit behind the curve on that front, but it has some really bold plans that it's laid out and then rolled back and then ramped up again. It wouldn't surprise me if this new boss has come in and his goal is to get the electric vehicle program going, get it up and running at volume so that Toyota can compete with the likes of Tesla um, and the Volkswagen Group and other brands that are really moving hard into the electric vehicle space. I think the other thing worth calling out about Akio Toyota is that often car brands and car makers talk about fun to drive and how that's part of their DNA. But Toyota-san really is a car enthusiast. He has raced cars before professionally, and he is viewed widely as one of the architects of Toyota's new sort of TNGA resurgence, essentially, where all of its cars have some sort of joy built into them. Um, A Corolla is still not going to set your heart racing necessarily, but every car built on that TNGA platform does have lovely linear steering and quite a nice ride and handling balance. So although he may not have drag Toyota into the electric era like potentially the board or the rest of the world wants. Um, Toyota has had a huge impact on the Toyota brand and his stamp is going to be on a lot of cars to come still if they do keep up that that focus on ride and handling. Mm. What direction do you think Toyota will take now under the new CEO, Jay? 
Well, clearly the electrification front is um, something that they really need to get on top of given it's the world's largest car maker and they're starting to fall further and further behind the EV sales race. Um, I think that's probably something that this new um, CEO is going to really have to focus on. Um, but like Scott said, I, I really hope that the, the next chapter for Toyota still really um, bases itself on on the principles that Toyota implemented in, in his tenure as, as the CEO because I feel like his influence on how they developed their current range really made Toyota exciting again. I remember starting as a, as a motoring journalist and, you know, the previous generation of products were all a bit dour and a bit boring and, you know, sometimes actually not just not very good. And But, you know, they sold on the premise that because it's a Toyota, it'll drive forever. But then now you can drive forever while also having fun. And then you look at it, you know, they've released the GR brand. They've had some amazing success with those products. They're back in motorsport and, you know, they're, they're an exciting brand. Toyota is an exciting brand again. And so I just hope that's not lost with this this new um, leader um, put, um, as they move into this new chapter. Mm, indeed. Some really exciting news this week, Jack. We finally are getting the Kia Sportage Hybrid. Yes, I can see like James twitching out of excitement, Mr. Korea. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, Kia Australia has com- has finally confirmed uh, this is a Sportage hybrid is coming down under. At this stage, it's likely to arrive um, early next year. Uh, production for the Australian market is um, at this stage um, expected to commence in the fourth quarter of this year. Um, but here's the big thing: is going to be going head to head with the top-selling uh, Toyota Rav4. So I we'll have to see. It's going to be very interesting how everything unfolds once it eventually goes on sale. Uh, power in the Sportage Hybrid comes from the the same powertrain uh, powertrain as the large uh, Sorento Hybrid. If you're familiar with that, so that powertrain consists a 1.6 liter four-cylinder turbocharged petrol engine an electric motor and a 1.49 kilowatt hour lithium ion polymer battery. A total system outputs for this powertrain are 169 kilowatts of power and 350 newton meters of torque. Uh, in overseas markets, uh, the Sportage Hybrid is available in both front-wheel drive and all-wheel drive configurations, and also um, the US model, which gets the, the long wheelbase version, the same as what we get in Australia, uh, gets a claimed 5.47 litres per 100 k's um, with a combined cycle. So uh, uh, here's where it gets interesting as well. The Kia Australia boss of product planning, um, Roland Rivera, said supply of the Sportage hybrid will be better than the Sorento hybrid, which I suppose now looking back at it isn't so much because they don't, don't really have any Sportage hybrids to, to sell. So anywhere is up from there. But um, it's going to be interesting to see. And uh, pricing hasn't been announced yet, obviously, seeing it's just been confirmed for our market. But um, it's expected to be about 4000 to $4,500 uh, more expensive than the equivalent at this stage. I'll have to wait and see. But I'd love to know, guys, will this put a dent in RAV4 sales? I think I'll jump in here given I was the one that wrote the story. <laughs> I've been I've been chasing this up for a really long time and I, 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 Jack said I was twitching and it's it's weird that I'm twitching over an SUV but I just think, you know, what this could mean for the Kia brand in our market um, is, is really exciting, especially if they can get a decent supply of them. Um, Medium SUVs, it's no secret, is the biggest segment and market in, in, in Australian new vehicle sales. And so the fact that in terms of electrification, it's only really represented by Toyota in terms of you know significant volume is, is a really missed opportunity for a lot of other brands. Now, the problem for Kia until now it has been that uh, the Korean factory that we source our Sportage from supplies um, not just the petrol and diesel versions for us as well as South Korea and some other markets. But it also supplies all of the hybrids everywhere. So the US made the shift to um, make all of its petrol ones there, which is which freed up some slots for us. But they continue to make the um, left-hand drive hybrids out of there. And so the, the issue that uh, Mr. Rivero has said to me on countless occasions over the past couple of years is that they just couldn't secure enough from the factory to get them here. So it seems like it's, it's changed. And so hopefully... Um, 
um, it, it appears that they're going to look at a couple of different variants, not just offering it as a GT line uh, or a top spec, which would likely be in around the $55,000 mark plus, plus on roads. Um, but if they can get in at like a base or a one-up from base model that sort of plays in the $40,000 bracket and they can get, you know, a, a few hundred a month, I think that's definitely something that I know from my um, my dealings with Kia owners in Facebook groups and things like that, that they really, really want. A lot of people were really excited by the Sorento, but it's in such short supply that they've actually had to stop ordering them. Um, and I think that, you know, half a litre difference between a, a, a Sportage hybrid and a RAV4 in terms of um, overall fuel economy, but the cars, you know, are nicer to drive or, you know, uh, it's something different. Um, it, it, it could really be a good opportunity for them. I also hope that this means that Hyundai will start looking at Australia seriously for bringing in something like a Tucson hybrid because, again, those are two um, players in that midsize segment without any form of electrification. And if you discount the um, the Mazda CX-5, the, the, the number one and number three vehicles in that segment have – you know, a, a significant volume of electrified versions in there in, in the RAV4 and the Outlander. So I imagine that we could see um, Kia sort of pop into that top three spot if, if it can get enough of them. I think for me, uh, as much as I want to be excited like James is, the proof is going to be in the pudding. And so many times we've seen with car brands, they have grand intentions and supply gets in the way. So I totally agree the Sportage Hybrid could be a big deal if Kia can get enough of them when it says it'll get them. But I'm just not willing yet to get excited because we just don't know. I mean, this time last year, we thought things were finally going back to normal and then Russia invaded Ukraine and all of a sudden the global supply chain was thrown into chaos as well. So I look forward to excitedly talking about this on a podcast in December 2023, but for the moment, I'm just keeping my powder dry. <laughs> and uh, the last story we've got, uh, Audi Active Sphere is actually a really hard word to say, concept. Um, this is a coupe pickup, Jack, and I actually quite dig the design. Yes, I I quite like it too. It's really interesting. It is a bit of a tongue twister, though, Active Sphere. I'm probably going to be saying that a lot in this little segment. So forgive me if I mess it up. <laughs> so, yeah, um, Audi has revealed uh, the fourth member of its Sphere uh, concept car range. I might have seen a few of them before. They had a, a cool roadster. They also had a people mover and a sedan. This is, uh, from my understanding, the last. Uh, it completes the circle is what I've wrote in previous stories which I quite like. Uh, yeah, so this uh, latest concept is called the Active Sphere. It measures in at five metres long and it looks like a lifted uh, off-road ready four-door coupe, uh, but at the back, it has a rear hatch that can be turned into an open cargo bed, exactly kind of like a ute. <laughs> so I quite like it. It's really cool. Uh, this concept is designed around uh, the Audi and Porsche uh, co-developed uh, PPE architecture uh, with a total system output of 325 uh, kilowatts of power. It's also all electric, by the way, sorry, and 720 newton meters of torque. Also a huge 100 kilowatt hour battery. Um, seeing it is off-road ready, it has uh, adaptive air suspension as well as a quattro all-wheel drive, which is what you would expect from an Audi. Uh, uh, more about the cars, it has a suicide opening frameless doors without the B pillar, so it looks very concept-like on that front. And uh, on the inside is where it gets really kind of freaky and weird. There's, uh, there's a whole heap of like augmented reality screens that you can interact with. It's like all the infotainment and stuff. Uh, it can be viewed through, uh, through special glasses. And uh, another thing as well as the steering wheel folds away because all of these Audi Sphere concepts are designed to be autonomous to some variety. So that's what Audi's intention is behind this concept that you – Again, eventually, not the the steering wheel folds away from my understanding, and you just can beep bop on the the augmented reality screens and stuff like that. Um, but seeing it's just a concept, there's still no uh, concrete. It's not set for production just yet. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of the the technology, or at least maybe the shape or an idea comes into fruition into production into a production uh, Audi vehicle at some stage. But um, I'd love to know, guys, what do you think of this concept? Um, Audi really has ticked all of the concept car buzzword boxes with this. It's autonomous, <laughs> it's electric, it's got AR inside. 
Uh, Jack, I like your optimism. Maybe I'm just grumpy after coming back from holiday. But um, this is another one I'm going to file under believe when I see. Um, I think also on the back of the Mercedes X-Class experiment, a lot of car brands that maybe aren't traditional work vehicle brands are going to be a little bit shy about getting to the, the ute game, electric or otherwise. So, um, yeah, I, I love the idea of a giant electric Audi ute that will drive itself with a beep boop AR system and all sorts of things. But um, <laughs> until I actually see it, uh, I'm going to take that one with a massive grain of salt. Uh, I think the Active Sphere concept, uh, the one with the little city A2 style thing, Love the idea of that. Love the idea of the new A8 concept, which Audi's kind of said is is going to look a lot like the, I believe it was the Grand Sphere, that one. Um, the Ute, I, I'm, I'm less sure about. So prove me wrong, Audi. Make me look silly. <laughs> Have Audi nailed this concept, j I actually like it. Um, mm. I think it's it looks really cool. I, I know Scott thinks that it's vaporware, but um, the I know there have been reports that Audi is working on some form of like an electric utility thing. So maybe this is the pre, like the preview of what to expect. And I think in terms of you know. We, I was always wondering what that would look like if Audi was to do some sort of utility, whether it would look like an Amarok, you know, reskinned Amarok or Ranger, or whether it would be their own distinctive, you know, Audi thing and this i feel like would kind of be cool it reminds me of that original aston martin dbx concept which was practically a db11 jacked up with all-terrain tires sort of sort of like what um the huracans sterato or whatever they call and the and the 911 safari are now so i feel like this is kind of on on that way like this could be like a and the next eight what the next a6 all road looks like it would be what the utility looks like imagine if you could get like an a6 all road with a you know a, a shooting brake rear with this all glass canopy thing that <laughs> yes. slides open. I'm, I also think that maybe there is a new Marvel movie in the works and this is going to feature on the next Iron Man because every time they've had a concept like this, it's featured in Iron Man. I just hope they don't put stupid engine sounds on it because they did an e-tron GT with V8 noises in the last oh, movie please. and I thought that was very silly. So, um, yeah, no, I think it looks great. I, You know, the autonomous stuff, I can, you know, take or leave the screens are cool. I don't think that sort of stuff we'll see in normal cars any time soon but um it's definitely a, a cool window into what audi's been working on from a design and, and technology perspective and it, it just means that the opportunities uh, are all over the place a uh, quick detour but i recently watched bullet train uh brad pitt in there good movie enjoyed it good for an airplane colorful bright etc but it lost me at the end because uh eva longoria rocks up and she arrives in an e-tron gt um, and it is very obviously an e-tron GT and then she parks it and she gets out and a telephone pole or a train, something or other, falls on top of it and crushes it. And the car that was crushed is very obviously an A7 shell. And I know that I'm a nerd and I know that no one cares, <laughs> but the lack of attention they put into making that thing look like an e-tron GT when they crushed it really got to me. <laughs> At least it wasn't the real thing though because that would be quite sad. That's a wrap for this week's car news. Thank you so much, Jack Quick. Thanks, Mandy. GWM is growing particularly popular here in Australia and its latest model could win over the hearts of off-roaders in particular, adding even more numbers to its already high sales. The car in question, the GWM Tank 300, and Scully, you were the almighty chosen one who got to review this. Um, Was it as good as all the hype surrounding it suggested? Uh, I think it was good of Car Expert to send its skinniest, weediest person to drive the tank. Uh, I thought that was quite <laughs> funny. Uh, look, I can't tell you if it's as good as the hype suggests because we got a very quick drive, which is mentioned in the review. But I will say that based on our drive, I'm every bit as excited as I was previously, which isn't always the case. Sometimes we get a little taste of cars and go, oh, I see where this is going. Um, but the tank shows plenty of promise, especially the hybrid that we spent a bit of time driving. Okay. Did you feel like it was worth its val- worth its price tag? Yeah. So uh, in Australia, the tank is kind of in an interesting spot. Uh, it's priced at either fifty six or sixty one thousand dollars drive away for the Lux or the Ultra, and that's for the hybrid. There is a petrol coming at some point, and it will be cheaper. Um, but finding rivals for it is really difficult. Uh, it's sort of a little bit smaller than a Ford Everest or a Mitsubishi Pajero Sport. It's only a five seater, and it's only uh, it's got a smaller boot. So it's not technically a rival for those cars. It's also not really a Jeep Wrangler rival because it's about 40 grand cheaper than a Wrangler. But 
Under the skin, it's built on a version of the same chassis as the GWM Ute. It's got proper locking differentials. It's got proper off-road kit. It is an off-roader. It just, it sort of feels like the next step in what Suzuki might have done with the Grand Vitara had it been around long enough. Um, I think based on our first look, it definitely has the equipment to justify the price. Uh, the interior of the base model cars we looked at had really lovely leather seats, big wide screens in the dash running, what looks like a new infotainment system relative to the Havel H6. Um, and I mean, it's obviously not a G-Wagon inside, but Havel has made a real, oh, sorry, GWM has made a real effort to make this thing look and feel rugged and chunky and kind of cool. It doesn't just look like a, a rebodied H6 inside. And I think that's going to win a lot of people over. I personally sat behind the wheel and immediately you've got turbine air vents. You've got a big flat paddle on the dash. You've got some sort of chunky buttons for the gear selector and proper dials for your off-road modes. And it feels like plenty of love's been put into it. I think the other thing worth pointing out is that this thing is kind of unique because it's a hybrid body-on-frame off-roader. And I can't think of any other example in Australia at the moment that has that. Um, the system in this car is a little bit different to the system in the Havel H6 and the Jollyon hybrids. Um, it's got a turbo two-litre petrol four-cylinder engine. It's got an electric motor. But rather than the transmission in those other cars, it's got a nine-speed auto and a full-time four-wheel drive system with low range. It's really powerful. It's got 258 kilowatts of power and 615 newton meters of torque. So those numbers are up there with uh, with heavy tow vehicles like a V6 Ranger, for example. Um, it's also got a 2,500 kilo brake towing capacity, which is not quite as big as you get from an Everest or something like that, but is not far off. Uh, on our off-road course, it, it was a very short drive on quite a simple course, but... We did a few simple climbs and descents. We did a 600 meter, 600 meter, excuse me, 600 millimeter deep water crossing. Um, and we did some offset moguls as well. Uh, 600 meter deep water crossing is a submarine test. Um, so I think the first thing worth noting is that the hybrid system didn't feel like it got in the way off-road. Um, we did a big SUV mega test last year off-road with a RAV4 hybrid. And it was really noticeable that the electric motor wasn't helping. It kind of just got in the way. You put your foot down and rather than having enough grunt to drag the car out or push the car out from the rear wheels, they'd just spin or it didn't have enough grunt to get you going. Hmm. Um, it was noticeable immediately in the tank that going uphill, for example, on a constant throttle where the petrol engine car would start to bog down, you have to put your foot down, have the gearbox kick down and it all gets a bit sort of messy you leave your foot on constant throttle in the hybrid and the electric motor would kick in and really smoothly push you up the hill. Um, it really did feel nicely integrated. Uh, it's also worth noting that like in the switch to low range, uh, activating the off-road modes, it didn't feel like there was any clunking or awkwardness going on with the electric motor and it didn't feel like the brake pedal was very touchy, which is sometimes the case. All of that stuff is really uh, important off-road because you need to be able to make smooth progress on slippery and uncomfortable surfaces. So based on this initial drive, there's plenty of promise there. I think the big worry with a car like this is if you go deep into the desert or the outback, is it going to be able to get you where you need to go? And that's the big unknown. Our pre-production and early production cars that we drove, there are a couple of teething issues. One of them threw an electrical gremlin and needed to be reset. Um, when we get the car through for a longer review and put it through its paces off-road, we're going to keep a close eye on whether the systems all work as they're meant to. But one of the things that GWM is going to need to reinforce to customers and really make clear is, yes, this thing is reliable. Yes, we will support you. And yes, it will take you where you need to go. So I think after this first taste, obviously, we need more time behind the wheel to get a feel for it. But also, we're going to need to torture test this car a little bit just to make sure that it can stand up when the going gets tough. Scully, do you think Australians will, will actually take to this car? Because, you know, GWM is still probably not that well-known a name in Australia. I think they will. Uh, I think GWM's growth and MG's growth have proven that if you can make the right product at the right price, people will look past the badge and sort of take it on its merits. Um, the Tank 300 is more expensive than anything else we've seen from GWM so far. It's not as if it's going to be a simple sell for them. But... I think there's plenty of people out there who want a, a reasonably compact or a medium-ish sort of sized off-roader with plenty of capability that don't want to pay through the nose for it, that don't need seven seats, that don't don't want an Everest or a Pajero Sport or an MUX. 
there's a huge opportunity for this car. And I think provided the first cars that make it to Australia do prove to be reliable and, and don't start clogging up flatbeds in the outback, uh, I think there's a real opportunity there. And, and GWM sees it the same way. I mean, based on what they've told us, they're expecting this to grow really quickly alongside the Havel and the Ute brands um, and, and be a, a pillar of their company through this year. So, yeah, the opportunity is there. And I personally think Australians will, will snap these up once they, they get time to have a look and a feel of it. Um, after that initial wave, it's just going to be about proving the thing's reliable. And the only way to do that is to drive it. So, uh, yeah, mm. there's going to be some early adopters taking the plunge, but I think pretty quickly you'll be seeing tanks around everywhere. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, there's no car expert rating to that one. As Scully said, it was just a short review, but the pros and cons and the review is uh, live at carexpert.com.au now. Joe, well, you had a chance to review the Kia EV6 GT, which is the uh, the flagship model of its first EV lineup. How important is this car to Kia? Well, the EV6 as a whole is um, the first dedicated electric vehicle from Kia um, based on the Hyundai Group's eGMP platform. So, it's sort of like the the brand's proper fighter for something like a, a Tesla Model Three or Tesla Model Y, um, and then within the Australian market, it's it's not the first all electric vehicle that they've offered, but it's probably the most well rounded and upmarket vehicle um, that it's offered. And on top of that, it's just a global halo product. Like this is this has taken over the stinger as as the brand's showpiece showcase of of what it can do. Um, and this GT is not only the most powerful Kia ever, um, it's also the most expensive. So they're moving into new territories. So in Australia, this car will be over $100,000 on the road, which is a glass ceiling or well, much higher than the glass ceiling previously set by um, some of its other products, which sort of uh, I think the, the Sorento plug-in hybrid is in the 80s. So this comfortably eclipses that. And, and that now I think the EV6 GT line all-wheel drive is now somewhere in the 90s drive away. So it just seems like um, now if the, the fact that they've had strong interest in this car shows that people aren't really caring if a Kia is expensive anymore because, you know, you'll still get a few odd comments here and there. Um, and I'm even having arguments about people why I mentioned it as a, as a con, but I knew someone was going to mention it anyway, that yeah, it's a lot of money for a Kia. It's a lot of money for any car. But, um, yeah, so in terms of how important it is, you know, this is – this. GT version is basically pumping out Audi RS6 numbers. It's it's got 436 430 kilowatts, sorry, take out the 6, and it's um it's capable of doing 0 to 100 in 3.5 seconds, which, Jeez. you know, as someone in the comments on my review um, very correctly pointed out, not long ago that was the realm of something like a McLaren F1 or a Ferrari Enzo. That that's no, no. or a Porsche. It's faster than a Porsche Carrera GT to a hundred, which when you think about it, twenty years of progress and, and a mainstream brand that you know at when those cars were coming out was just a cheap and not ne not necessarily cheerful brand out of Korea and emerging automotive power. Um, it's it's quite astonishing. And and what I found out on the launch driving it um, was that you know we we hear a lot about electric vehicles being able to do the zero to one hundred sprint very quickly, um, and that's just sort of down to how electric motors respond and and the immense torque that they they make even in a in a very basic one. But it, it's it's quite a difficult thing to make an EV fun to drive. And when I say fun to drive, I don't just mean like oh how much fun can I have by beating everyone in the traffic light drag race it's like can i take it to a, a a thin windy country road and actually feel like it's a proper dynamic package and uh, and you know even take it on the track and, and and feel like you can really push it without you know trying to defy physics and send a two and a half ton thing into a sidewall so that was a really interesting experience for us and and i have to commend kia for for doing such a great job because it's not only a global a good global product the local team did a very very um extensive job tailoring it to local ro roads so graham gambolt and his team in australia have tuned this the the ride and the handling so the steering map is all bespoke to our market as well as the steering and the fact that they've managed to make it this all round capable and I'm not the only journalist that was on this launch that was very complimentary of it. I had, you know, a, a number of very experienced journalists on this launch that felt the same way. So clearly they're onto something. Um, my overriding memory of the GT line all-wheel drive, uh, which is sitting one step below this in the range, is that it, yeah, it was very fast in a straight line and it, it handled reasonably well, but it felt heavy 
which is just a problem with all electric cars because batteries are heavy. Um, how has Kia gone about disguising the weight of the, the EV6 GT and does it feel distinctly different from the regular EV6 when you really have a crack? Yeah, and that, that sort of is what I was touching on with this local tune. So the way that they've done this variable ratio steering rack, it really loads up quite a lot. And when you put it in its most aggressive settings, it's it's so really well calibrated so that it feels like a much smaller car than it is because you're right, Scott, the, the, the cars on this platform, while they're very competent and quite comfortable and good all-rounders, they are very heavy. So, you know, the, it's hard to mask that. And I recently did the um, Genesis GV60 launch, which is based on the same platform. It's roughly the same size and it offers a performance variant that's not quite as powerful but you know it's sort of pitched as the same thing and scott's also recently reviewed this car um it didn't it was it was distinctly different to that car and i remember driving the gv60 performance up near king lake and on on similar styles of roads high speed sort of winding and there were some more technical elements to it as well now it was a bit wet on that day but i was a lot more fearful of doing anything more than just driving very calmly and slowly through some of the sections there because I just didn't feel like the way the weight was shifting and how the steering responded, I didn't feel as confident. Whereas this one, I was driving it like it was my Golf. It, it genuinely was that just keen to uh, turn in and, and and it just responded in a way that made you feel confident to push on. And the way that it puts all that power down, now, you know, this is a car with 430 kilowatts and 740 newton metres of torque. Those are numbers that you cannot sneeze at. These are like Mercedes AMG, BMW M numbers and not just like an A-class. This is like five M5 E63 AMG numbers. And so it, the way that it's so – like it just grips and goes and and it's got a clever um, electronic limited slip differential on the rear axle which shuffles torque between the wheels that have the most grip on the rear and obviously it's got the assistance at the front as well um, to keep things moving in a, in a civilized manner. And it <laughs> actually it, – it's surprisingly sharp. And while I haven't had a lot of experience with a Porsche Taycan, and that was the comparison that was drawn by a lot of other people on that drive – was that this is sort of like a, a cut price tie card. And when you, if you want a Porsche tie card with equivalent performance, you're going to be paying almost $400,000. So you can, it's quite a lot of bang for your buck. And you can sort of see now why this car has been met with such a claim overseas because it's been out in Europe for maybe six months now. And, um, Everything has been very, very positive, um, which is a build, uh, building upon the very positive reception of just the normal one. So, um, yeah, we, we, we went from the roads that we were on uh, at the at Gippsland Way were actually some of the roads that Graham Gambolt uses himself to test um, products ahead of uh, release. Yeah, so, you know, we got a taste of the kind of things that he was testing this vehicle on to make it what it is now and then we we ended up at the haunted hills racetrack um further out again and i'd never been there before but i've obviously seen a lot of um heard a lot of stories and seen a lot of content out of this facility and it's not necessarily the first place you'd think about taking a 2.1 ton electric crossover wagon thing Mm -hmm. and um so we were given a few laps to try and you know test to see see how it felt and test the the limits obviously um facility limits allowing and you know i was i thought i was pushing it pretty hard and without getting it untidy or anything like that then i got taken by in a hot lap by a an ex-racing driver and (laughs) when i tell you i don't know where my stomach was at the end of this lap because it was like foot to the floor hard on the brake and like the 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 g-forces that my body was dealing with plus having a heavy helmet on and sitting in the back of this thing i felt like a bubble hit you know like in those movies when they have like cheap bubble heads on the dashboard and they're just like going crazy when they go fast that's what i felt like i thought i nearly my head nearly went through a window it was there was so much going on (laughs) but it was so impressive like the accelerate the way the way this car puts its power down is is crazy and then the fact that it can also handle and you know carve up a couple of bends is just super impressive. So when you think about, you know, what other cars you can get for $100,000, this is competing on price with something like an Audi RS3 or a, or a Mercedes AMG A45, both very competent and, and, and really fun cars to drive. But, you know, this is bigger. It's faster than both of them. And, you know, it can handle probably almost as well. Um, I was just really impressed by it. And I, I feel like this would be they're not going to get a whole lot of them. I think they're anticipating around two, just over 2,000 units of 
overall EV um, EV6 production this year. Um, I just don't know how many we're going to start seeing in the next 12 months. But I, I, from what we know, they've received a lot of interest and they're getting a lot of interest from people outside of the Kia brand, including a lot of you know premium European brands. And I think we've heard so much from Tesla's performance products for a really long time. It's nice to see that other brands are getting on it and doing a good job. So it's also it's also makes me wonder what Hyundai is going to do with the Ionic 5N because if this is already so good, I wonder how they, they're going to build upon that. Uh, would you buy one? If you had the money, you wanted an electric car, is this the one that makes you go, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested or would you stick with the regular EV6 GT lungs? I know you liked that car as well. Yeah, this that was an interesting question and it was something that I – I feel like I answered it once I got behind the wheel in the more dynamic sections of the drive program. Um, I remember the first time I ever drove uh, the Golf GCI Mark 7 um, at our old job. And, I, you know, the way that my I, I fit in the seat really well, um, I, you know, the way that all the controls sort of worked and how it, it all felt as I got moving, it was all very just in tune with what I like. Um, and you know that just the overall look and, and 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 the trimmings and the displays and everything was was all sort of what I would want in a car. I pretty much got that same feeling in this, and it's not something that I've I really feel often. There's a lot of cars that we drive in this job, and you know you think that some people, for a lot of us, you know, driving a Bentley would be amazing, or you know, some really high end stuff. I got in this and I was genuinely having so much fun and the way that it just responded and felt um, completely in touch with how I would think it would or how I liked it, this would probably be the EV6 I'd consider because it's also got all the the flagship techie stuff like the the nice lights and things like that that all work and it's got, um, you know, interesting bits in it like all the lime green accents and the bucket seats and that kind of thing that just make it really really cool um so yeah i think for me personally it's just it's so well-rounded and and the way that it all comes together is just really fits with my personal tastes um that for me this would probably be the one to buy and i just feel like it's 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 a that ev6 gc line all-wheel drive probably wouldn't have would be the last one that i'd get i think it would be a rear-wheel drive one um so i would say my picks of the range would be the gt line rear-wheel drive or maybe this gt was there anything that was missing, Jaiwara, that, that should have been there considering how much it is? Yeah, so Kia still doesn't have Kia Connect. It's um, like online telematic service suite on the EV6. They've started rolling it out locally for um, all new generations and facelifts, which is going to be their strategy moving forward. So considering this is their flagship technology product and it doesn't have all of their technology, it sort of irks me a little bit. Um I probably wouldn't be using most of the connected suite, maybe other than the online navigation function. But I know a lot of people who perhaps love Teslas are really in tune with like checking your app to see charge status and opening the doors and making it, turning the lights on and sounding the horn and all that other stuff that might get old for someone like me in the first 10 minutes of using it. But yeah, so that's that's a key thing that's missing. And also disappointing is the fact that Kia still hasn't found a way to add wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto um, in its cars with navigation. Um, I remember I think one of the excuses that was given by Hyundai and Kia uh, a little while ago was that there was some sort of dispute between um, the, the car companies and the software providers around who gets the, the standard mapping view when the vehicles or the software is in use. But it seems like every other brand has managed to get around that. So I don't know whether it's like Apple and Google Korea that are just really annoying and can't allow them to give them a license for it or the hardware. But it just seems like it just seems silly in a car that's so, you know, it's got that kind of open plan concept and all this tech and everything and these beautiful screens and then you have to hardwire everything and, you know, you, you've got your phone flying about if you don't put it in the right place if you start tearing up a back road. So that was really all that was quite disappointing because it's, it's got pretty much else that's in the global portfolio. Like it, all of the spec and the colours and everything are what you get everywhere else, which is not what you can't say that for the other cars in the range. So this mm-hmm. even has like the matrix LED headlights and the, the swipey indicators that aren't available on any other local EV6 but are available globally. Um, so this is probably the most complete package from a specification perspective as well. But like I said, those missing features are just really annoying and it's hard when other cars at the price point offer those things. 
It is a constant source of disappointment with Kia, that CarPlay thing. I know it sounds small, but the, the EV6 is now a premium vehicle at $100,000. I know that it offers more performance and more value maybe than the equivalent BMW at that price. And that's a comparison we've got going on in the background hopefully soon. But uh, ultimately now, Kia is past the point where we can judge it based on value for money or just because it's doing a good job at a, a lower price, we can let it get away with that stuff. Uh, 85 grand for a Sorento plug-in hybrid, 100 grand for an EV6 GT, and the EV9 is going to be around the same marker. This is the stuff Kia needs to start getting right and needs to really establish itself in, and it's just not quite there yet. So for all that is good about the EV6 GT and even vehicles like the top-spec Sportage, the high-end Sorento, um, I think we're now at a point where we can say it's not good enough that it doesn't have wireless CarPlay, and it's not good enough that the flagship doesn't have connected services and come the midlife update, hopefully those things are rectified. Jaywo, what car expert rating did you give it? Hold for applause. Um, it was an overall score of 8.6. Excellent. And that review is at the site now if you want to go and have a bit of a squeeze. That's a wrap for this week's podcast. Uh, events and launches, have we got a few coming up next week, J-Wo? We do indeed, and I'm on one, so I'm very excited to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've got William Stopford in uh, Megalong Valley in New South Wales testing out the new Outback Turbo or XT, which I know a lot of people, including a lot of the car expert team, are excited to hear about because that's a really interesting car. And then I'm also heading up to Brisbane to drive the new Nissan X-Trail EPA. Actually, I say Brisbane. We're starting off in the Sunshine Coast and driving down to Brisbane. And then I'm going to stay in Brisbane and hang out with our Brisbane team because I never see them. So hopefully um, Albors lets me drive his Huracan. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only reason why you want to stay in Brisbane. (laughs) Totally, totally. (laughs) Um, And uh, what cars have we got coming up, Scully? Uh, As always, it's a mixed bag. This week we have, I think, a bit of a unicorn. It's a Mazda 3 2.5 litre manual. Uh, A manual mainstream car. You do not see many of those anymore. I didn't even know they were still Uh, making them in manual. (laughs) Yeah, that's just one of the last holdouts. And I picked it up today. It's a lovely manual shift as well. So I'm very much looking forward to driving that this week. Uh, We've also got a base model BMW X1 and a Hyundai Santa Fe Elite hybrid all-wheel drive through Melbourne. Uh, And up in Sydney, we've got a review coming very shortly on the Volkswagen Tiguan all-space monochrome. Uh, the Suzuki Jimny and the Nissan X-Trail STL. Excellent. Keep your eye on the site there. And as always, if you haven't given us a rating, please do on whatever uh, podcast platform you're on if you're loving the show. James Wong, Scott Colley, thank you. Thanks, Mandy. Thank you, Mandy.